Geneva was named after her great-grandmother, this tiny Yurok Indian woman, less than five feet tall, who lived in the village of Requa. It's way, way in Northern California, in the heart of the Redwood Forest, where the clear waters of the Klamath River pour into the salty Pacific Ocean. All of Geneva's earliest memories are there, mostly walking alongside her great-grandparents to see how the salmon was cooking in the smokehouse. Even as a two-year-old, her favorite food was eel. We catch eels right at the mouth of the river there, and they're really fatty rich. They're like a really fatty pork chop. With her elders, uncles, and aunties in a house built by Geneva's great-grandmother's grandpa, they'd all sit around a table and eat, speaking in a mix of English and a little Yurok, while little Geneva pigged out on eel. And so apparently I'd eaten a lot and people were worried that the baby was eating too much eels and they said I couldn't have any more. And so I stood up on my chair and put my hands on my hips and said, more eels, please. And that was apparently the first full sentence I had ever said. Between bites of smoked fish and seaweed, her elders, many of them native activists, would remind her how lucky the Yurok are to live on their tribal lands. They're the largest tribe in California with almost 5,000 members. And while so many Native people are displaced, they told her that the Yurok had been in Requa since the beginning of time. And with that comes a responsibility to protect the place, to look out for her people, and to make sure that her future kids will have the same connection to the land. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Andrea Salenzi, and today on the show, lots of fish, but also a real-life made-for-Disney kind of love story. Because when Geneva started looking for her future husband, she knew she wanted to meet someone who shared her indigenous worldview, but also someone who had the right kind of blood. He'd need to be part Native American in order for their future kids to get official Yurok tribal membership. It was only through her quest, trying to please her ancestors, she found out what she actually wanted for her future partner and family. Now, Geneva didn't actually grow up on the Yurok Reservation in Requa. Her parents live in Oregon, just a few hours north. I went to like predominantly white schools in like suburban Oregon, and not everyone at school knew I was Native. You know, my dad is white, my grandpa's white. You know, I think people have a very stereotypical vision of what a Native American looks like. And I don't necessarily look like that exactly. And so um, I can pass for lots of other things. And it was a little bit of, you know, like walking into worlds where I would, you know, go home for the summer and be with my grandma and my cousins and participate in our ceremonies and wear traditional regalia and, you know, fish with a gill net. That's a traditional Yurok fishing method. Only tribal members get to do it. And then go back to school in like, you know, white suburban Oregon and wear guest jeans. Geneva was a social kid who dated a lot. And unlike the way most people talk about their exes, she always describes hers as beautiful. I had some really beautiful boyfriends. In college, she had her first serious relationship. We were madly in love and had a beautiful relationship. And he is, you know, Minnesota white boy. 
He was the kind of guy who loved her environmental activist side and her sorority sister side. Geneva could see a future with him, maybe moving down the street from Garrison Keillor. And side note, he does now actually live pretty close to Garrison Keillor. He has a beautiful life. I could have had a very beautiful life. But she couldn't picture ever bringing him back to Requa. All through college, moving back had been her dream. That's always home, and I was always homesick for Requa. Geneva's homesickness was extra clear. Whenever she opened her purse... There's a joke that I would have canned salmon in my purse on a regular basis. Not just any salmon, but salmon she'd spent her summers catching in the Klamath River. If you're going visiting and you want to give someone a gift, like a can of salmon that you caught and canned yourself is a pretty awesome gift. And so, yeah, so I would would regularly have like a can of salmon like in my car or in my bag. Deep down, Geneva knew that canned salmon wasn't enough home for her. That someday she wanted to move back and build a high school on the Yurok Reservation, make sure her kids could be fluent in the Yurok language. She had doubts about whether her relationship with the beautiful Minnesota white boy could survive all that. So after college, they tried long distance. He got a job in D.C., and Geneva moved to Seattle to work on Native education programs for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Early on in the job, she was on a road trip with her new colleagues. My boss was this professor, a Mohawk woman, and then I had a a Native colleague, a man, and we were in the car driving to a reservation. We were just getting to know each other. So she told them about her Minnesota guy. So I was telling them about my college boyfriend and how wonderful he was and that he was ready to leave Washington, D.C. and move to Seattle without a job to be with me. And I had told him that he shouldn't do that unless he had a job. And they both said, oh, he's not the one. If he was really the one, you would say, leave your job, leave everything and come be with me and we'll work it out. He's not the one. Her boss turned to Geneva and said, what's on your list? And I said, I don't have a list. And then Geneva's boss shared that when she was dating after a divorce, she got so sick of looking for a partner that she just made a very specific list of what she was looking for. And she went outside, as we often do, and prayed. And she said, you know, creator, this is the list of the things I'm looking for. You have two weeks to show him to me. And if he doesn't show up, I am going to be happy with my child and my career and all my friends and my family. And I'm, I'm not going to look for a man. And so she, so she prayed, she prayed out loud her list. And then she met this man who was all the things on her list like a week later. And they had all these freaky things in common. Geneva broke up with her college boyfriend. She didn't have a list yet, but she knew that this guy wasn't going to hit all the marks when she did. Geneva got to work on the list. It took more than one sitting. It became an ongoing project. Over the next two years, she learned that some of the things she was looking for were physical. You know, dark hair, tall. And some of the things were about chemistry. Another one was about, like, kisses that make me, you know, sing or something. Like, really good kisses. She knew she wanted someone who knew her same ocean, her same trees. I wrote Pacific Northwest. And she wrote passion for social justice. Another one was understands and appreciates the role of my family in my life and what they mean to me. And somebody who wanted to be a parent. It became a pretty long list. 
I think at the end it was like 37 things were on my list. Plus I had 12 bonus track items. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, wouldn't it be great, but not mandatory? One thing though was completely non-negotiable. I wrote native. Is that number one? That was number one. Yeah, it was number one. So to be with someone else who is indigenous, there are just so many understandings and perspectives that match, that feel right, that are known without even having to speak about them. Geneva's future partner would love that her first words were spent demanding eel. He'd understand the special homesickness that can lead to a case of purse salmon. Geneva thought she might find him in Seattle. Seattle has a very big urban Indian population, so it's actually a very fun time. In a bit, Geneva meets someone who ticks off every item on her checklist, except for this one key thing. Stay with us. Say advertisement. Advertisement. Good job. We're back with Geneva, whose dream of moving home to her tribal lands of Requa finally came true in 2003. She was only 26 years old at the time and was recruited by her grandma and her grandma's siblings for a job as deputy executive director of the Yurok tribal government. No small job. She's running a 200-person staff, a $20 million budget. But the first thing she had to do right when she got home, was ask her ancestors for a favor. Right by my grandma's house, overlooking the mouth of the Klamath River, is this gigantic rock. And she's distinctly in the shape of a woman carrying a basket on her back, which is what we do traditionally. And her name's Oregas. And it's a very sacred prayer place. Geneva prayed for her list. I said to the creator, I'm ready to find my life partner. Now, I want to explain a little more about the most important item on Geneva's list. That number one thing, native. Here at the show, we first met Geneva after she reached out to us about her blood quantum. So, can I ask, what's your blood quantum? And can we talk about why that's a weird thing to be asking another person? That is a weird thing to ask another person. And like maybe for um, like public information, like a good like pro tip is like don't ask a Native person what their blood quantum is. (laughs) The reason why is this is basically like asking her, so how much Indian are you? It's relevant to her story today and something she's game to talk about with me for this podcast. But generally... Don't ask your Native friends this. And it's rude, so yeah. When Geneva was dating, this concept of blood quantum and race, it kept coming up because she needed her future partner to have a certain blood quantum in order for their future kids to be officially Yurok. According to the constitution of my tribe, I only needed someone to be 132nd Native American. But you know... Geneva didn't specifically write at least 132nd Native American. She just wrote Native on her list because she doesn't agree with her tribal laws around blood quantum. Blood quantum emerged from the U.S. government's racial classification system as a way to measure your Indianness through their construct of race. Think back to slavery, 
the one drop rule. Blood quantum is the same idea. You know, there are very mixed feelings and mixed opinions about that. Um, And obviously, uh, you know, my generation doesn't think that that was the right call. Once the tribal government established their membership and put a blood quantum requirement, that changed how we thought about who we were going to marry for my generation. So with that in mind, Geneva got to work at her new job. She helped start the first high school on the Yurok Reservation. At the time, she was living with her grandma, noting how every single guy in an 80-mile radius was either her cousin or worked for her. There was no one to date. But then she was awarded a fellowship, one that gave her the chance to travel out of Requa and meet other Native leaders, like this guy from New Zealand. And so I had met one of the fellow ambassadors, and he's, you know, he's six foot four and brown and has a beautiful singing voice and, you know, plays the guitar like a champ and is really, really smart and funny. So we became friends. He had all these things she was looking for. Tall, dark, smart, funny, music lover. But she was already dating another guy. Dating is probably too strong of a word. We can't say hooking up with. We can. He's a beautiful photographer. But photographer? Not on the list. The other guy was named Ruidi. Inside a bar at a fellowship event in Washington, D.C., he told her he was Maori. They're the indigenous Polynesian people of New Zealand. Think the Disney movie Moana. Her fictional tribe is considered a mashup of a few Polynesian cultures, including Maori. Like, he has the big tattoos, you know, like Maui in the movie. He has big tribal tattoos on his shoulder. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's also, yeah, really lovely. At that bar in D.C., Ruidi leaned in and told Geneva, I've traveled the world, and you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Okay, not technically on the list, but he did say one of her favorite words. And I thought, wow, this guy's pretty crazy. A year later, Geneva was at the opening of the National Museum of the American Indian. Her date was her grandma. There were tribal delegations there from all over the world, and she heard the Maori were performing. In the crowd, she spotted Ruidi. He was in a really beautiful suit, like a tailored suit, but he hopped up on stage and he did the haka. They'll make their body really big, so like a big wide stance, and their faces will be very animated with their eyes really big, and they'll stick out their tongue. And they'll slap their chest or slap their legs. And the song is more like a chant, and it's very aggressive and loud. And it's often about conquering someone in order to intimidate, but also to get themselves, like, psyched up and pumped up. Geneva was in the audience, next to her grandmother and other elders, all of their eyes glued to Ruidi dancing. My grandma leaned over to me and she said, what about that one? And I said, I was just thinking the same thing. And so I went up to him and I said, hey, you're going out with us tonight. And he said, oh, I'll just go home and change and then meet you out. And I said, no, I know you. You will not come out. You will stay home and go to bed. I said, you're coming out with us now. And so... Um, so he did. And then it was dollar jello shots. <laughs> Is grandma still there? No. So I put the elders to bed <laughs> and then we go out that night. Geneva and Rawidi spent the rest of the weekend together. 
and she wondered if this was her husband. If so, her ancestors were having some fun with the exact wording on her list. For example, take one of the middle items. I wrote Pacific Northwest, and he's from the Pacific. I meant the Pacific Northwest of the United States of America. But I didn't write that all the way. The most perplexing interpretation on her list had to be number one, native. Ruidi was native, but to make the blood quantum requirement of her tribe, he needed to be Native American, not New Zealand. If Geneva and Ruidi had babies, those kids wouldn't be able to be full members of her tribe and participate in the traditional rites like fishing with the gillnet. Geneva had to decide if this mattered to her, if Native was enough. Ruidi asked if he could come visit Geneva in Requa, and she said yes, thinking... Maybe in her homeland, her ancestors could help her figure this out. When Ruidi arrived at Requa, it was the middle of the night. So he woke up the next morning and he said, I need to settle up my ancestors and your ancestors, and I just need to go do some prayers down at the ocean. And part of Maori's, they're Polynesian, so they're all connected to the ocean. And it's the same ocean. It's the Pacific and is his ocean as well. And so he said, I just need to go like touch the ocean and I need to touch your river and say my prayers. Ruidi didn't understand the weight of what he was asking. I had brought other boyfriends home before, and I was told very clearly, like, they are not allowed to put their feet in the river. That spot where the Klamath River meets the Pacific Ocean, it's a powerful place for the Yurok. So imagine, like, this huge, mighty river spilling into the ocean, and the ocean right there has these gigantic crashing waves, right? And we believe that if you put your feet in the river, that our visitors put their feet in the river there, that they will always want to return. Geneva and her grandma exchanged a look and agreed that he could go. But they decided to warn him first. And so my grandmother and I said to him, of course, you can go do that. And we need you to know that if you put your feet in the river at the mouth, you will always want to be here. And he said, oh, don't worry. Like, my ancestors are very strong. My prayers are very strong. Like, I got this. That won't happen to me. (laughs) He ended up staying for two months. Haridi met Geneva's entire family. And they liked him. Geneva checked that off the list. And goofy stuff, like he got in a boat and went out fishing with my uncles without me. And then not only did he catch a fish. Yep. Also on the list. He then like came home and filleted it and then like cooked us oysters on the barbecue while playing the piano and singing to all of us. And if all those things aren't on the list, they should be. On Ruidi's last day in Requa, he asked Geneva to marry him. Geneva wanted to say yes, but could she really ask him to leave his home, come live with her in Requa? And at that point, right, like he didn't have a job. We would be living at the house that at that point was my mom and dad and grandma living in this house together. And there weren't doors on the bedrooms because it's this really old house that my, you know, great grandma's grandpa built. And I just thought, how dare I, like, who am I to say, leave all of this behind and come be with me here? She walked down to the gigantic rock again. And I prayed for a sign that I can marry him and ask him to leave and be with me. And in my mind, it was going to be like an eagle flying by or like a really clear dream. Geneva went home, waiting for a sign, but at the same time worrying that it was wrong to want Ruidi to leave his homeland. For her fellowship, Geneva had visited Maori schools, and she saw that in New Zealand, 
Polynesian students spoke their native tongues fluently, even did math and science in their tribal language. But she had kids with Ruidi. Maybe her future kids could have access to Yurok schools and Maori schools. I joked that I loved it so much I had to marry it. A few days after visiting the rock, Geneva got her sign. And it was more physical than symbolic. I found out I was pregnant. <laughs> oh my gosh. Geneva Calverweedy that day. He was so excited. So he told everyone that people were calling me with like groups of people singing like prayer songs of congratulations to me. (laughs) Um, He told all of his family immediately and like he was making plans to be here like, you know, immediately. A month later, Geneva married a native man from the Pacific who was tall with dark hair, knew how to fish, how to canoe, and how to kiss beautifully. They've been married for 14 years. Geneva and Rawiti have three kids now. And not one of them is a Yurok tribal member. We'll hear how that's been for Geneva in a bit. Don't go away. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back. Geneva and Ruidi have three daughters now who are 13, 10, and four years old. We call them Tamaya, Kia, and Ani. All three daughters self-identify as Native American and Polynesian. They are able to code switch really spectacularly well. I feel like when we get off the plane in New Zealand, it's almost immediate that they start calling me mum and like Band-Aids plasters, right? They just like switch And they have since they were really very, very tiny. Her kids have picked up some specifically New Zealand things from their dad. I mean, when he's from a Commonwealth country, right? So like they drink tea with milk and sugar and they drink tea all day. Um, They eat a lot of cake. (laughs) And because of their mom, the girls speak Yurok. In Rekwa, they get to take it as an elective in school. But they also pray in Maori. Ani, the four-year-old, has Maori board books. And all the girls inherited their parents' appetite for fish. I have an uncle who will bring us smoked fish, like, almost every day. Like, it doesn't matter how much he brings, they will just eat all of it right there and then, even if they've already eaten dinner. And when they're in New Zealand... You know, sea urchin in New Zealand, you can just, like, get at the local market. And seaweed, like, they will take seaweed in their lunch every day. So far, that missing 164th Native American blood, it hasn't been an issue. But unless tribal laws change, it will be. Like the day will come when they're ready to like fish with a gill net on my river, which my people have done since time immemorial. And my family has fought for that right and been, you know, beaten and gone to jail and, you know, literally taken a case to the U.S. Supreme Court. And my children won't have that right to be in that boat and to fish with that gill net. And that is hard. I would hope that we could come to a place where people of my generation can change our constitution and change how we define who is a citizen of our nation. You know, Rawiti never had a list. He just saw Geneva use a knife to fillet a fish once. She happened to be in a business suit and high heels at the time she did it. And he was like, her, this one. He didn't know that she had a list until after they were married. He found the list and he said, why did you write this weird list about me? And so I had to tell him, like, I didn't, like, 
I wrote that about you before I met you. What does he make of you leaving out Native American and just writing Native? Oh, he just thinks that's because it was meant to be. Haridi told Geneva the Maori are explorers. They believe in spreading out, leaving home. By diversifying his blood and and having Native American blood in his children, he was actually getting stronger and he was creating a stronger family because like now you get to claim all of the power of both of those tribal nations and both of those places. And so your children have like more power, more resources, more spiritual energy because it's it's the best of both. And even if Geneva's ancestors did take a few liberties with her list. Geneva's glad she left things open for interpretation. I mean, he's my spiritual partner. And he's really hot. (laughs) We want to hear from you. Did you have a list when you were looking for your partner? Tell us in the comments for this episode. That's episode number 181. This episode was produced by me, Andre Salenzi, with Jackie Sajiko. Our show's creator and executive producer is Hilary Frank. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Peter Clowney, Antonia Akatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Rekha Murthy, and Julia Wang. Next time on The Longest Shortest Time, when Shannon and Chris first got married, they didn't have your typical newlywed blissful phase. And I spent you know, a lot of time bleeding and, you know, crying on the phone because I, you know, bled on the floor at Whole Foods. Sometimes on your path to parenthood, there's a lot of cleanup. I don't do puke well. And, uh, but yeah, I I can do blood. Blood is okay. Do not miss this episode. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And as always, we want to hear from you. Two weeks ago, we told you the story of a Chicago mom, Kim Brooks, who faced criminal charges over a parenting decision. So many of you are sharing your experiences in the comments for this episode, and a lot of them involve child protective services. They're surprising and honest. Please keep these stories coming. Go to longestshortesttime.com, hit the participate tab, and submit your story. Da 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 da